Good morning, Brown Corners. Glad that you chose to be in the house of the Lord today. If you don't mind, if you're ready and willing and able, I ask you to stand as uh, we do our um, call to worship just a, a smidge different this morning. It was a little bit longer than I anticipated, but it was so good. So I'm going to end up reading the first eight verses of Psalm 8, and then we're going to all join together for the last verse, verse 9, that just declares how majestic, Lord, O oh Lord, is your name in all the earth. So, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. So all together, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.
Jesus, we thank you for coming and submitting to the will of the Father, for freely giving your life upon the cross, for shedding your blood on our behalf and in bringing us to the Father. God, I pray that the good news of the gospel never grows old to our hearts. May we never get weary of hearing of your great love for us in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the chance to worship together. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, wherever they are in their, in their journey with you and with one another, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would lift our hearts and our minds and our eyes to the heavens. May we exalt in the resurrected Jesus Christ. May your spirit awaken in our hearts a fresh realization of your unbelievable love for us. May your spirit kindle in our hearts a greater love for one another and for you. God, we ask that according to your might, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. We pray, God, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that they may be enlightened to know the hope of your calling and the wealth of the glorious and inheritance in the saints. May our eyes be open to know the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your great strength. May we experience that power in a fresh way today. Teach us, we pray, oh God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome. We sure are glad you're worshiping with us today. And if you happen to be visiting for the first time as those attendance books go by, just make sure you check that box so that we can uh, extend a special welcome to you. And uh, we're just glad you're here today and joining us in worship. I also just want to um, thank Pastor Steve for filling in uh, last week as I was gone um, doing some writing and just having a, a time of prayer and a little retreat that was really a, a blessing to my own heart and really, um, really beneficial in a lot of different ways. So I'm, I'm grateful for Pastor she Steve sharing the word with you. And uh, this morning we want to continue that study in First Peter and pick up where uh, Pastor Steve left off in First uh, Peter chapter 3. Verse 18, First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, because I was gone all week, I didn't get uh, into the bulletin, uh, the, the notes or an outline, so uh, if you are fond of taking notes, just you've got a lot of blank space there to fill in if that is helpful for you, otherwise, uh, don't, <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 3, the, the title of today's message is Jesus our great victor. And we see this beginning in verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who were in the past disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. I'm a, I'm a, you've heard me use sports illustrations before. I, I enjoy sports. I've never been a great athlete myself, but I enjoy a lot of different sports. But one of my pet peeves, one of the things that I can't stand with sports, which probably uh, is the reason I'm not a gigantic fan of soccer, is the fact that uh, ties are stupid in sports. There should be no ties in any sports allowed whatsoever. There, there, there always needs to be a resolution. You don't sit through that three-hour game to see, like, hey, everybody won or nobody lost or something like that. Like, there needs to be a victor. Well, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to our Savior, Jesus Christ, there's no question. Jesus is victorious. Jesus won the battle. Jesus conquered there upon that old rugged cross that we just sang about. Through his death and through his resurrection, there's no question at the end of the contest which team won and which team didn't. Jesus is the victorious one. Now, if you were listening as we, as we read those verses, you may have noticed that there are a couple of curious verses in this passage that, that are a little bit of head scratchers. At least they were for me. In fact, um, I'm not the only one. Historically, uh, a lot of commentators believe this, this is one of the most difficult sections in the New Testament, at least out of any of the, the letters that Paul or Peter wrote. Uh, there, there's a couple of things that come up here that, that cause us to sort of wonder just a little bit about what Peter's getting at. In fact, the German reformer Martin Luther once wrote, this is a strange text and certainly more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still do not know for sure what the apostle means. And so what we're going to do here is um, we're going to sort of recapture the big picture of what's been going on in the letter to hope, hopefully sort of set the tone and give us an idea of where Peter's going here, and, and that might clue us in a little bit on what these, these challenging verses, particularly uh, verses uh, 19 and 21, what they're, what they're getting at. We'll touch briefly on kind of what I think they mean, but uh, more importantly, I, I think that there's, when you, when you come across an obscure text in Scripture, there's a danger of becoming so focused on, like, really, what does this mean? This is a confusing text. It, what, what, we can, like, get so myopic in our, and we miss the big picture of what, what the author is trying to say. We want to be careful about doing that this morning. We don't, we don't want to miss the point that Peter's trying to make because maybe we're a little bit unclear about what it means that Jesus went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison or uh, what Peter's saying when he says, baptism now saves you. Uh, we want to make sure that we understand the, the big picture of what's going on here in these passages. And so we want to remember that uh, the overall context is vindication despite unjust persecution. Remember, these Christians are, are being persecuted. They're being marginalized. And Peter has said it's getting worse and worse and worse for them. And what Peter wants to get across here in this passage is that, listen, Jesus was the only perfect human ever to walk this earth. Like, could you imagine? Some of you had siblings that, that your parents treated like they never did anything wrong. 
And if you had siblings and you're like, ah, oh, we were never treated like that, you were probably that sibling and you just didn't know it. But, but seriously, like Jesus truly, actually, genuinely never did anything wrong. Could you, ima- could you imagine living with and interacting with someone who, who genuinely never sinned, never said a harsh word, never, never was, was unkind or, or, or judgmental or, or selfish or like was perfect love? Jesus, the only perfect person in all the world, he was killed because people hated his guts. And yet, despite that, his death brought victory, brought salvation to us, and he rose again from the grave and has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Peter is saying, if Jesus Christ has been vindicated by God, he said, I want you to know that you will be too. If you suffer faithfully, even unfairly, especially unfairly, God will, in the end, vindicate you. At the end of chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, Peter shines a light on Christ's fearless and unwavering spirit by pointing us to his unjust suffering in the flesh as a blueprint for Christian living. And then, saw last week, as Pastor Steve shared that Peter boldly declares it's better to endure suffering for doing good than for doing evil. And so Christ's resurrection and ascension, empowered by God's great might, has decimated the powers of evil and will ultimately defeat all who embrace evil, just as in the days of Noah. So if you're suffering unjustly for doing good, as God defines it, Peter says, you can celebrate knowing that you're on the right side of this showdown. Your unjust suffering, my unjust suffering, the the Christians in Peter's day, their unjust suffering is a temporary trial, a testament to a lifetime commitment to serving God, which was pledged at baptism. So in this passage, Peter rallies his readers, reminding them that their unjust suffering will not be the final chapter of the story They've already been declared victorious through Christ's resurrection from the dead. One writer, David Helm, says it would appear that Peter intends in this text to refresh and encourage weary followers of Christ by showing them the final outcome. So that's the big picture of what's going on here in this section of 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter wants to encourage weary, suffering Christians of what lies ahead for them. You know, you and I this morning, whether our suffering is coming from within or from without, whether it's from persecution, from unbelievers, uh, even believers, like uh, the the, the Christians there in in Peter's day were experiencing that that, uh, being marginalized for their faith. Whether that persecution is coming from people or maybe it's from circumstances, God wants us to know that the ultimate victory is ours through Jesus Christ. He's won the battle. So with that in mind, that big picture in mind, I want to spend just a moment, and I really don't want to get bogged down on on verse 19 and verse 21, but I want to just spend just a moment and not pretend like these passages aren't aren't there. So there's two challenges here in this passage. The first one is... um, 
in verse 18, we see Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah. What in the world is he talking about? What does he mean when Jesus went and preached to spirits who were in prison? Now, there's a lot of different theories out there. I'm not going to go through them all. If you are, uh, have wrapped interest in this passage, email me this week, and I will send you some other different perspectives on there. Here's, here's what I think makes the most sense. You can turn there if you want to, but in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter again makes a really similar reference to this idea of spirits in prison. Because based on what he's saying right here, we're just like, we don't really have any context. Like, what, what did you mean there, Peter? Well, in 2 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says this, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly. There's a couple similarities here in the Second Peter 2 passage in 1 Peter 3. We're talking about angels or spirits. We're talking about chains or prison. And we're also talking about Noah. He brings up Noah again in the context. Still, we don't really have a great idea of what he's getting at, but this sheds a little bit more light on him because there was something that happened that these particular angels did that caused them, that caused them to be chained up in utter darkness. One more passage. You can jot it down, look at it, or just listen. Jude, verse 6. The little one-chapter book of Jude. Fun fact, the least preached book of the New Testament, in case that helps anything. Jude verse 6 says, it refers to angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling. He is kept in eternal chains in deep darkness, darkness for the judgment on the great day. Okay, so there's a couple things we learn. There's some, there's some angelic beings that have been chained up somewhere, deep darkness. He doesn't really say why, except for Jude, this Jude passage, if you read the context, he connects it with some sexual immorality, with some of the false teachers of the day, and then he, he draws a comparison with these angels or these spirits. So we see here that like, and we know that this isn't true of all, angel, all fallen angels because they're alive and active in this world. They were in Jesus' day. There is, there is something that goes on in this world, in the spirit realm, that, that demonic activity is real and it's still happening. But there seems to be a certain group of fallen angels that have been locked away, that have been put in chains. What, seems, what Peter seems to be saying is that this particular group of angels that were locked away. As Jesus died, and during those days when he was in the grave, in some way or sense, he made a proclamation to these spirits who were kept in prison. Now, commentators differ on what that proclamation was. Some say that it was a proclamation of judgment. Others, based on the context here, say that it was a proclamation of victory. But for some reason, Jesus went to these these 
fallen spirits, these fallen angels, and declared the, the victory of his resurrection, or his, his coming resurrection to them. In the context that seems to, to make the most sense, Jesus is talk, or Peter here is talking about Jesus' victory over the grave, over, uh, over this suffering, this unjust suffering, and he was about to go to the right hand of God. And so in the context, that seems to make sense. Now, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Who were these spirits and how did they get there? If you really want to go down this rabbit hole, he mentions Noah twice in talking about this. If you read Genesis 6, where you meet Noah, if you remember, <laughs> at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, you meet these, it really doesn't explain what they are, but it says the, 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 these, these sons of Adam slept with the daughters of Eve, and they had this offspring that was, that was called the Nephilim. And it's a strange and obscure reference in a story at the beginning of Genesis 6, but it's to prove just how, how terrible and wicked the earth had gotten and why God was sending this flood. I wonder if uh, whatever those sons of God were in Genesis chapter 6 are not the same group as those who have been cast into this prison or put in chains, and God is punishing them for their wickedness if indeed they were spirit beings, uh, as some commentators think. Again, it's a rabbit hole that you can go way down, as I discovered in studying for this. So uh, if you're interested in more, uh, some more detailed nuance, let me know and we can, we can talk. But he also, he also says something that's a little bit interesting, is, is he talks about now the victory of Christ. And, and Jesus proclaimed this victory to the spirits in prison. And verse 20 says of First Peter 3, who were in the past disobedient when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. So he brings Noah into the, into the passage because that made sense based on what he was talking about with these spirits. And, he, and then he, he turns, he's, he's, still, he's still thinking our, our protection in the midst of suffering, okay? Because he brings in the ark and he says, while the ark was prepared, in it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. So he's saying that, 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 that through the, the, the flood, that ark was a way to protect the, the Noah and his family and to save them in the midst of judgment. And he's bringing now in this idea that, that we are protected by God's power in the midst of all this persecution, in the midst of all of this, this struggle and pain. And he, he turns then in verse 20, he says, or verse 21, and he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, that is the ark, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What I think Peter was doing here, he's not saying that we're saved by being baptized. The church historically has understood that we're saved through faith alone, through Christ alone. What Peter is saying here, he's, he's employing the term baptism to symbolize the immersion that we have experienced when we came to Christ. Romans 6 talks about that. Jesus serves as our protective ark, as it were, during the forthcoming judgment of the wicked. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is emphasized as P, by Peter as crucial just as Noah was rescued from the tumultuous floodwaters, believers are saved through the tumultuous waters of baptism, thanks to Christ's victory over death. 
doesn't mean that going through the process of being baptized by immersion or sprinkling will save us. But he's talking about that immersion that we experienced spiritually when we were placed in Christ. Again, you can read about that in Romans chapter 6. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about these these couple of ideas, and, and you don't have to agree with my interpretation of those verses, because I'm not even sure I agree with myself. That they're confusing verses. But I want to back up here and, and get to the point of what Peter's trying to make, because the point of this passage is not that we will uh, strain our brain over a couple of obscure and difficult to understand verses. There's an important message here in this passage that, that means a great deal to you and me today. In the final analysis, this passage is about Jesus' victory. Look at verse 18. Jesus suffered for sins once for all. Let's not lose that truth in the midst of a couple of hard-to-understand verses. Jesus said, it is finished. He did did the work on the cross, and it it is complete. There's nothing you or I need to do to add to Jesus' finished work. I love what Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 12 says. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. There is no more work to be done. Yes, as we saw back in 1 Peter chapter 1, we are called to live holy lives as his people. But we don't do so in order to earn his righteousness. But we do so because we already have it in Christ. We long to obey him. We long to be holy as he is holy because he has already brought us to God. I love what verse 18 also says when it, when it, it says, Jesus suffered as the righteous for the unrighteous. We have the one who was utterly perfect, who had done nothing wrong, and he willingly chose as the righteous one to suffer on behalf of the unrighteous. That's you and I. We have all brought to the table, our sin, our disobedience. And and the only thing that we can do is fall down at the feet of Christ and say, we need you, Jesus. Jesus suffered as the righteous for the unrighteous. And notice the purpose of what he did in verse 18. He did this that he might bring you to God. I love that phrase. Think about this. Jesus died so that he could bring you to God. He didn't, he didn't die to say, that's the way to God. If you just head down that road. Okay, I want to do a show of hands here, like how many of us this morning are directionally illiterate. Like, um, like for some of us, um, the, the invention of maps on our phones... Um, have, have literally saved our lives. Some of us would not be here today because we would make a wrong turn in a bad part of town uh, several years ago and we would be gone. Uh, some of us would still be driving, looking for our destination, um, even this morning. Like, directions are, are incredible help. But, you know, like some of us will go to the grocery store and you ask where something is, and maybe it's a grocery store you're not familiar with. Maybe it's a huge supermarket and, and somebody just kind of generally points you in the right direction. That's not very helpful. You're still kind of lost and on your own. But when they say, hey, let me show you, and they walk with you all the way there, and they say, here's, here's what you're looking for, that's so much more helpful. Jesus didn't just simply die to say, hey, 
You guys can figure this out, but I made the way. The picture here is like a parent taking their child across a busy street. You're not going to tell your two-year-old to walk across six lanes of traffic. Hey, just make sure you wait until the little, uh, the little light turns on, the little walkie guy, and then you'll be safe to go. You're like, it's a two-year-old. It's six lanes of traffic. You'd be nuts. You're going to be there with that child all the way across, holding their hand, being by their side, and taking them to their destination, leading them. That's what Jesus has done. He didn't just simply die to make a way to God. He has died to bring us to God, to carry us to God, to embrace us and say, I will bring you to my Father. Through my suffering and death, through my resurrection, I am here to take you to God. I love that Paul writes in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You and I, born in our sins, were separated from God. We were far away from God. And for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, who have fallen at his feet and utter dependence upon him and him alone, he says, you are now near. You don't have to stand off. We've all had that feeling, I assume all of us, some of us maybe more than others, of being somewhere where you felt like you didn't belong. Maybe, I, unfortunately, maybe it happened in church. Maybe, maybe it's a part of your family. There's some fractures or ruptures in the, in the relationships. Maybe it's at work or at school. You don't feel like you have a friend group. Maybe it was getting picked or not picked for a, a team uh, on the playground. We've all had that, that feeling, that sinking feeling of feeling like, I don't belong here. I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe even to take it a step further, I'm not wanted. We've all felt that alienation. But God tells us through the Apostle Peter that one of God's reasons for sending Jesus to die on, our, on the cross for our sins is to bring us near to be, make us part of the family so that we would belong, so that we would be united with Christ as a co-heir with him. And finally, he tells us in these verses that Jesus' victory gives him dominion. That's what it, verse 22, the way verse 22 finishes in, the, in this chapter, where he says, Jesus Christ, who's gone to the heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. The wording here leaves no doubt. Jesus has won the victory. Jesus has conquered sin and death. Yes, we still wrestle with sin. Yes, we still live in a world where there is death. But Jesus, through his death, has brought about an assured victory. Through his resurrection, he has said, listen, the time is coming as my kingdom is breaking into this world when I will return and finish the deal. I, I will, you will see the full fruits or the full outcome of my completed work, of my victory. The battle still rages just as, as in World War II victory was declared. There were still several battlefronts where wars were being fought, where soldiers were still being clicked killed even though back here in the states people were in the streets celebrating victory so too with the victory of christ we live in a world where there's still sin there's still battles being fought as jesus's kingdom breaks into this world and will one day open up for us this full realization of his 
victory. We live in this time of this, what theologians call an already but not yet, that Jesus has defeated and conquered, and we await the full fruits of that victory. This passage reminds me of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, where he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. It's a big run-on sentence. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Almost the same language as Peter uses. Far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. I want to close with this. I recognize, my brothers and sisters, that some days it does not feel like Jesus has won the battle. There are some days in our struggle against our own sinful desires. There are some days in our struggle in this world. There are some days in our struggle with others and with our enemy who longs to see our souls destroyed where it does not seem like there is victory. My brothers and sisters, turn to the word of God and remind yourself of the Savior who has conquered, the Savior who has risen from the dead, and the Savior who is at the right hand of God. We have the privilege this morning of celebrating Jesus' victory through the Lord's table. The bread symbolizing his body that was broken, the, the, the juice symbolizing his blood that was shed. The, the Savior who has won the victory through his death and his resurrection. We can't, we can't have one or other left out. We absolutely needed his death upon the cross to pay for our sins. We absolutely needed his resurrection to be the first fruits of the resurrection to show us that we too can experience new life after the grave. That's what we celebrate through the Lord's table, this newness of life, this hope in the midst of struggle and battle and fighting. Our Savior is the victor. If you've never uh, had communion with us here at Brown Corners, I just want to share this. In a moment, we're going to pray, and our, our worship team is, is going to come on up and, and lead us in a song. And just feel free to get up out of your seat. It kind of works best if you go to your right and kind of circle around and, and come to one of these stations. We have three different stations. Um, at the center one here, you, you'll find um, gluten-free uh, wafers if, if you need that. Um, you'll also see some baskets, empty baskets in, the, um, in each each of the tables, and that's, that's for our benevolence fund. If you feel so led to give to that, that helps those in our midst who are struggling in some way and just, just need a, a little extra help or encouragement. Um, if you feel free, or if, you, if you're willing and you feel led to give over and above your normal giving, giving we invite you to, to do that. I want us to just take a moment and, and, and just bow our heads to say thank you to God for his victory, and just uh, lift your hearts right where you are and, and in uh, your chair, or your pew, to God, and, and just reflect on that victory for just a moment here, and then, and then I'll pray for us. Let's bow.
Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you would remind us of your triumph over sin and death and the grave. For those who came here this morning and maybe not, not feeling so victorious in their life, not so much aware or sensing the great work that you've accomplished on the cross for your people. Lord, I pray that you would saturate their hearts in your word this morning. May your spirit make these words come alive off the page. And would your spirit speak to hearts in very specific ways this morning, reminding them of the, the might and the power, the greatness of our Savior in conquering death. The work is finished. There's no more left to do. There's no, more, there's no amount of good works that I can do to earn your favor, oh God. You're pleased with us through Jesus Christ for those who've trusted in you. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here who's not making Jesus that anchor, that, that sole source of their hope, that today would be the day that they cast their, their, their all upon him in trust. May they wrap their arms around Christ and Embrace him as their savior, believing that there's nothing that they could do to earn their way to you, to understand that the just died for the unjust so that we might be brought to God. Lord God, we, we just thank you for this chance to worship you through your table. Lord, draw our hearts nearer to Jesus through this time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. I just want to remind you, if you're a, a follower of Christ, we want to invite you to join us at the table. You don't have to be a member here or anything like that. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, we want to invite you to now come. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. Punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins.
here before we um, send you on your way that is a cool celebration this morning. We have some new members that we want to welcome here today. And uh, so I want to invite um, Diane Butterfield, Val Erskine, Matt Dillon, Mitch Todd, Evan Lake, and Dan and Mary Mast to come on up. And uh, these... Uh, these guys have, have gone through our membership class and have had a chance to um, not only learn a little bit about who we are as a church, but uh, we've had a chance to, um, to interview them individually as uh, elders and hear a little bit about their story and how they came to Christ. And I wish we had time this morning to kind of walk through and, and hear everybody's, everybody's story, but I hope that is uh, you get a chance to interact with them through uh, our classes or maybe having them over for a bite to eat. You get a chance to hear how God has brought them to himself. And the, in the journey, some of them have, have walked some uh, really, just had some real highs and lows in their, in their journey. 
and have seen the faithfulness of God and the presence of God. And so we want to present you uh, this morning uh, with these men and women as, as members of our church. And um, I just want to read here uh, some of what our United Brethren um, statement has, has to say with regards to membership. It says this, as a church, we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the soul, the regeneration of the soul, and a holy surrendered and a spirit-filled life and growth and grace and knowledge of truth. We believe that there must be perseverance in Christian living and faithfulness in Christian witness to promote harmony in our relationship with the Savior. And these uh, brothers and sisters have committed to join and be a part of our church and a part of this, uh, this life together. And so I have a series of questions, uh, just five questions, and you just, um, just kind of respond accordingly. We've, these are all things we've walked through together in, in our classes. Uh, do you believe the Bible to be the Word of God and that therein only is revealed the knowledge of the way of salvation? If so, answer, I do. Have you asked God to forgive you your sins and do you now believe that He accepts you as His child? If so, if so answer, I so believe. Are you determined by the grace of God to follow Christ, renouncing the world and ungodliness, seeking to live a life of holiness and devotion to God and his cause? If so, answer, I am. Are you willing to be governed by our church discipline? And are you willing to be placed under the authority of the local church? If so, answer, I am. And are you willing to give up your time, talent, and means to support to the support of the various interests of this church according to your ability? If so, answer, I am. If, at this time, I'd like to uh, invite the elders up uh, to come, and we're going to just have a time of prayer. In fact, I want to just invite anybody who's in, who would like to just lay hands on uh, these brothers and sisters. If you want to join us, uh, you're, we'd love to have you up here on, on the stage with us, just uh, joining us in prayer for them. But I'm going to ask if a couple of our elders would, would pray over them, and then, um, and then I'll, uh, I'll close us in a word of prayer. But any, anyone who'd like to join us, feel free to come on up here.
Thank you, Father, for the responsibility that you've given us as a body to steward well the lives of those that are in this building, God. <clears throat> Help us not take that for granted or take it lightly, Lord. Help us in our pursuit to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, Father. Father, we thank you for this church and for everyone here. I just uh, pray, Lord, that you would help us to realize that our job is not done when we bring people into the church, but it's when, as a church, we go out and reach more to your honor and glory. men and women. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of your body. As believers, we're already a part of the universal church, the, the, the collective um, souls of all those who've trusted in Christ. We thank you that these have joined our local church here at Brown Corners, and we pray that uh, as they serve you here, that we would um, love and care for them well. We thank you, God, that all this is possible because of the victory that Jesus has won. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I just want to thank you all for being here, and I want to invite those of you who are, are, are new members here to just sort of linger up front if you're willing to, and so if, if uh, as, you, as you are dismissed, I'd love for you to just swing by and, and say hi and maybe meet somebody new here for the first time. May God bless you this week. May God...